Good morning, friends. I thought I'd join you down here today for a little Memorial Day gathering. Today in the uh, church's calendar, as you've noted, is called Ascension Sunday. And you heard that first text from Acts, that rather mystical text of Jesus rising up into heaven. My guess is that if you've been from been in a small church in the Midwest somewhere at any time in your Christian travels, you've seen an image painted in a church somewhere or in a stained glass of Jesus sort of disappearing in the clouds with some astonished disciples beneath. Does anyone recognize that imagery? I bet it's it's a kind of iconic in uh, 19th century Christian iconography. Interestingly, Acts was written by the same author as Luke. It's unfortunate that our New Testament is set up that they're split apart because, you know, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Acts, then the letters of Paul. And it's unfortunate because Luke and Acts were intended to be read together. They were chapter 1 or book 1 and then followed by book 2. But when the New Testament got organized centuries ago, they grouped all of the so-called Gospels together and broke out the history of the church separately. So we ended up with a disjunction. So in effect, what you heard today from Acts that Winona read for you earlier is the beginning of Book 2. Book 1 ends this way. This is from Luke. Now, mind you, at the very end, these are the very last verses of Luke. So that means that uh, the whole story of Jesus has been told, right? The resurrection has occurred. And then there are various appearances that Jesus has with and among his friends and disciples. And then, at the very end of Luke, it says, He said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all of the nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my Father promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And I might say this prayer is reminiscent a bit of the prayer you heard he prayed in the Gospel of John towards the end of his life, where he's in praying that his disciples will be empowered. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he withdrew from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. End of book one. And then book two, as you heard Winona read it, begins also with 
Jesus instructing his disciples. But then he says, after he had said all of this, as they were watching, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go. That's the beginning of book two. And then unfolds the whole history of the church down to the current moment. Now, interestingly, in uh, Protestant piety, outside of that visual representation, that 19th century visual representation I started with, in Protestant piety, the ascension has largely gone away. In fact, in most of, a lot of Christianity, the ascension has been lost. And part of that is because of the um, archaic nature of the presentation. You know, when, it, when the New Testament was written, we were still dealing with a cosmology, uh, an ancient cosmology, a three-tiered cosmology, right? So heaven was above, earth was here where we are, and below our feet was Hades, or in the Christian lexicon, dreaded hell. So you had heaven, earth, hell. That was the ancient cosmology. And we well know today, from several centuries ago, our cosmology has grown up, hasn't it? Copernicus did this, along with Galileo. And remember the trouble they got in, because they were reworking the cosmology that was so inherent in the New Testament. But the problem is, is that once we kind of gave up the old cosmologies, we we lost some traction on some essential theological ideas that are deeply important to us and relevant even continuing to the day, this day, including the ascension. You know, Augustine, that towering 4th century theologian, thought that ascension was the most important Christian festival in all of the Christian year, outside of resurrection per se. Well, why is this? Why... Why should we pay attention to it? And why do we here at Christ Church pay attention to the seventh Sunday after Easter as Ascension Sunday? Well, the clue is embedded in that Luke-Acts story, which is that at the end of the times of Jesus and before the beginning of the church, we have this conjunction, which is what we call Ascension. And granted, the the language is ancient and dated in its own way. The concept is as relevant as ever. Now, what's the concept? Well, the concept is is that the risen Christ is now in union with God. And what that means is, is that everything that the resurrected Christ has stood for and taught has now gone into Godhead and has transcendence importance. Without this conjunction, this ascension, if you will, we would be left with a Jesus who is a historical anomaly and not a present reality. But with ascension, we have an exalted Christ whose message of love and grace and forgiveness 
has been forever installed as the crucial aspect of who our Creator God is and what our Creator God is about. And what that means is that this Creator God is deeply and intimately available to us right now, every last one of us. It's an astonishing theological advance and something we must never lose sight of because of its power to empower us today in the present moment, and to be available to the reality of the risen Christ's presence in our lives today. Do you see? Do you see how this is? And why it is so very important that we hang on to this idea. It informs us. Now, the problem we've got is that the language can't capture this transcendent reality. It just can't do it. But if we think about it, there are numbers of things in our lives that are like that. Take, for instance, uh, the issue of love. If you deeply love someone, can you adequately describe what that love actually is as a thing? What you end up doing is you talk around it. You describe it as, well, it's when I... mm, 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 mm. It's when she does... You can't sort of get your finger right on it. And yet you know it is profoundly real. Love is as real as the day is long. And yet you have a great deal of difficulty expressing exactly, say scientifically, what that is. So what do we do? We resort to writing poetry. And we resort to writing music and songs. All of our pop music is, you know a gloss on how do we talk about what we're feeling. Because we can't actually describe it adequately. We can only kind of talk about it and around it. And hopefully the words that we use will open up our, the, the inner eye, if you will. And we attach it to music because music does very much the same thing. I've told you in the past on several occasions that music was my pathway to God. I didn't get into this except by the fact that music opened my spirit. And once my heart and mind were opened, I was available. I had access, transcendent access to the things that mattered most of all. That's what happened to me. Now, that's not everyone's story, but that's my story. And it's profoundly real and true. And it continues to capture my heart and mind. So, for instance, when you came in here today, I bet you so far there has been some piece of music that has touched you. Something that has happened already today. Was it Laquita? Was it the choir? Was it a hymn? Something touched you and opened you in a way that words wouldn't by themselves. And yet we rely on music to give us this grace. This space, this architectural space, does something similar. All art and architecture, if it's done well, does precisely the same thing. You know what happens when people walk in through these doors for the first time? Do you know what happens? What happens, this is what happens. I won't go all the way back, but they walk in, and you know it's dark there, and then all of a sudden you see... (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Where do they look? They look up. Why? Because in our human consciousness, looking up is the way towards transcendence, and this architecture accomplishes that. It's a fantastic thing. And not only do they look up, but where do their gaze go? Oh, Jesus, who is where? Up. 
and he is enthroned. Fascinating, isn't it? As an architectural jewel, this works extremely well. I bet you it is the fanciest Byzantine Romanesque Methodist church anywhere in the world. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, a lot of people ask me, was this always been a Methodist church? The answer is yes. That's because the designers in the church at the time wanted to accomplish exactly what I just demonstrated because they knew that looking up was the transcendent response that all people, no matter who they are, no matter what their tradition is, are compelled to do. And once we look up and we open our inner eye, we are available to faith. And what does faith help us see? Well, faith helps us see that Jesus, who lived, died, resurrected, and all that he stood for, all that he lived, all that he taught, the transcendent love itself is part of the Godhead. It is the ground we walk on. The very same God that Jesus worshipped, if you will, the one who flung stars into distant space, that one is available to us in our very next breath, that very same powerful God. And each one of us is loved beyond our wildest imaginings. Tell me, this isn't the heart of what the Christian faith is about. And here we have it all wrapped up in a wonderful Sunday called Ascension. By the way, can I borrow this a second, Ned? If you look ahead to the final hymn, it's a little self-serving, I suppose, but <laughs> Steve Pilkington and I wrote this. Actually, the way this came about was it was an uh, offering at our annual benefit auction, and someone bought it, a commissioned hymn that we would write. So this was the product. And actually, it's an ascension hymn. And it was intended to be sung here or inspired by this very space. Christ triumphant, high above, throned in glory, and in love. And by the way, you, the throned in glory is easy. But and in love, you know, he is above what the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, Soul, strength. That is now ascendant, throned in glory and in love. As you come to this hymn later on, think of it as sort of a, a hymn to Ascension Sunday. To the God who loves me beyond my wildest imaginings, makes all things new. The final coda on this is, we don't leave it there. We're not meant to stay marveling upward like this. The whole point of the message is in the last phrase of that passage from Acts, which says, do you remember, they're looking up. They're sort of, you know, caught in the bedazzlement, if you will. And then we're told two angels appear. And what do the angels say to them? They say, 
why are you looking up? Go on, get on with it. There's work to be done. And friends, that's exactly where we find ourselves. That's exactly where we find ourselves. There is work to be done. What is the work? It's the work of love. Why is it the work of love? Because that's who Jesus is, love. And we are now empowered with the exact same message and mission. It's a fantastic story, but what a fantastic life journey as well for all of us. What a mission. Is there a greater mission than this? I don't think so. Wow, if we could really make this our own and send it out into the world, you know what would happen. Things would change. Amen.